Father in heaven, thank you so much uh, for this community and for the way that they love you and for the way that they are willing to come here and um, listen and wrestle and be in community and um, eat together and, and be uncomfortable and enjoy themselves and just be a family and be a community together and learn together. Um, Jesus, we declare this space, your space, and you the king um, that rules over us. And yet, even as I make that statement, I know, um, Jesus, that a lot of us are in different places with that idea. Some of us are not even sure that you are real, and some of us are, are definitely sure you're real and know that you are our Savior. And so, But we're coming here hoping for you to speak to us. Um, and we know that your Holy Spirit is here. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would give us courage to believe what's true, to throw out what's false, and to really not, as I always say, um, to not hold against one another the way things are said or the awkward things or just, hey, we're all on a journey and we're, we're working at it. So Spirit, give us courage to believe what's true and push aside the false things. And um, I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so we're, we're out of Acts. We're in Titus. Um, but I didn't know I would be introducing Titus. Andrea was supposed to introduce Titus, but I got a call Thursday night saying that her brother-in-law had passed away and they were flying to Kansas. Um, so if you know Andrea and Ryan, um, give them a text, give them a call, send them a note. Um, Andrea is taking it pretty hard and uh, so they'll be in Kansas for a while. Um, just trying to be there as a support to her sister. So keep Andrea in prayer. And as I sit here and speak, give me some grace because didn't have the most time to like prepare. But we're going to be talking about Titus. Now, Titus is in the New Testament, and it's one of the, um, it's one of the letters that are called the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters. So we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And Timothy and Titus are Paul's young men that he entrusts his ministry to. And these three letters that he writes, um, are letters that he writes uh, to help these guys plant churches, structure churches, understand what you're supposed to do um, as a community. So there's a lot of doctrine, and then there's a lot of this is how you're supposed to do stuff. Okay, So that's kind of what we're looking at. Now, we don't know much about Titus. Um, and we know a couple things, and it's kind of funny to not know much about Titus. We can go to Galatians chapter 2, and you can do this if you want, but I'm not going to. But Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, it tells us that Titus isn't circumcised. So that's one fact we know about Titus, which is a fact I know about Titus that I don't know about a lot of you, right? So, I mean, it's kind of a funny thing in history that poor Titus has got that out there forever for somebody to read every time they read Galatians, right? So that's that's there. But the second thing we know um, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 to 23. You can just write these down because I'm not I'm not going to go there. Paul is talking about Titus, and he talks about Titus being really eager to go to the Corinthians and do some stuff. We believe, not perfectly, Whoa. and not all at once. We believe, not perfectly, and not all at once. <laughs> 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 um, anyways, Titus is a very eager guy. Um, and Paul says 
that he is one of his co-workers, one of his fellow apostles, and he sends him with a lot of acumen when he sends him off to the Corinthians. And so from that little passage, a lot of historians think, because there's some conversation about this guy who all the churches affirm that's going with Titus, and they think that that person might be Luke. And so they kind of think that maybe Paul, Luke, and Titus were sort of the the triumphant of missionaries. Like they went together everywhere, right? And Luke recorded everything. And there's some thought, this is all just speculation, that maybe Titus was Luke's younger brother. And Luke, and Titus was sort of the enforcer, right? He was always there no matter what. He was the tough guy. He did the tough things. And, and Luke was the guy writing everything down. And Paul was doing all the things that got everybody in trouble. So that was kind of how this whole missionary journey went. So now we're writing this letter to Titus. And when does this happen? Well, last week we talked about how Paul was in prison in Rome for two years sitting around in the house. Well, after those two years, he actually left for a while and probably traveled to Crete, which is where he's sending Titus. We find out from Titus chapter 1, verse 5, that he's going to this place called Crete. Now, I had all this trouble with the computer, so I had a map of where Crete is. But you all have Google. So just Google, you know, map Crete, first century, you'll find where Crete is. But it's this island. And uh, it's really just an island of pirates. But um, this is where, probably, this is how the church started in Crete. This is what historians think. If you go all the way to chapter 1 of Acts, when, or at chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles and they begin to speak in different languages, the Cretans are mentioned. So probably those Jewish Cretans, because there's a lot of them in Crete, go back to Crete and they begin a church. And then maybe Paul, after he gets out of prison in Rome, his first time, goes there and starts to try to organize them, but has to leave and isn't finished. And so he's going to send Titus to do that. And so this letter is probably written somewhere in 62 AD. Now, um, I want to read to you a description of Crete, because to understand what Paul is kind of working with and what he's sending Titus into, I need to read you a description of Crete. Now, this is written by a historian who's writing about Crete, like, I don't know, a couple hundred years before um, Paul writes his letter, but I think it applies. So listen, listen to what he says about Cretans. Money is so highly valued among them that its possession is not only thought to be necessary, but in the highest degree credible. And in fact, greed, and here we go, you're all going to help me pronounce the word, so those of you who are awesome at pronouncing, it's A-V-A-R-I-C-E. Avarice, thank you, are so native to the soil in Crete that they are the only people in the world among whom no stigma is attached to any sort of gain whatsoever. And he goes on, Cretans, by their ingrained are engaged in countless public and private sedition, murders, and civil wars. And he continues, says, I will not, in a different section, he says, I will now address myself to show that the Cretan constitution deserves neither praise nor imitation. And then another section, he says, Now, with few exceptions, you could find no habits prevailing in private life more steeped in treachery than those in Crete, and no public policy more inequitable. Wow. Yes. <laughs> not maybe that bad, but... So... The, the place that this letter is being written, where Titus is headed, 
um, is a place that seems kind of like the end of the book of Judges. How many know what the end of the book of Judges in the Old Testament says? Let's, let's do a little Bible quiz. What does it say? And everyone did as they saw fit. Yes, and everyone did what they saw fit or what was right in their own eyes, right? Um, the culture in Crete has moved probably from, and this is the criticism from everybody else around, is because Cretans, um, they said Zeus was not a god and that he died. Uh, and so everybody else said, no, Zeus is a god, and Zeus gives laws and keeps order. And um, so they, they needed a way of getting out of having something on the outside telling them what to do and producing order, right? And in a lot of cultures, there is a belief in the core of the culture that ingrained in us, we have sort of just these things that, that have been given to us from an outside power, right? That we should honor one another, that we should care for our kids and our, our parents. Like there's, these are things that are supposed to be ingrained in us, like something that, that the gods gave us, or we as followers of Jesus would say God gave us, right? And as a community, so Crete's moved completely away from that, and they've said, no, the only thing, we're, we're gods, and we get to say what's right, and we get to do what we want to do, right? And when you all said America, that is kind of how our culture has moved a little bit, right? We've moved from a place where we believe that innately inside of us, there's a knowledge of God and a knowledge of basic morals that's just been put in us. It just It doesn't need any proofs. It's there. It's innate. Right? And we've moved to a place where, like the end of Judges in the New Old Testament, the book says they did everything that was okay in their eyes. Right? They, whatever saw, they saw fit, they did. Which is basically they did what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, and they didn't care if anyone didn't want them to do it. That's kind of where Cretans were. And in some ways, that's where we are in our culture. And that's a temptation, I think, for many of us um, as we kind of wrestle to follow Jesus, is that the temptation is to kind of feed ourselves and to feed our own desires. So, with that in mind, Paul is writing a letter to his, his enforcer, to the guy who goes and makes things happen. He's writing a letter to Titus. Now, thankfully... Andrea, let me make the did the introduction. So I I'm just doing the introduction, um, and I don't have to. I, introductions are easy when it comes to Paul. I love doing Paul's introductions. So if you don't know where Titus is, you can look. If you got a black Bible, um, it's on 1251. So page 1251, you can find Titus. All right, and Paul is writing to Titus. And this is how Paul starts. He starts Paul, which is a good way to start a letter, by the way. Use your first name, Paul. Now, but there's an interesting thing about Paul. See, Paul's name used to be Saul. Paul actually means small, right? And his name was changed to small. Now, it's really interesting that Paul uses that name because he could use Saul, but he uses Paul, which means all of us have names, right? And our names, we've, we've lost kind of the meaning to names. But my name means something, and I think it's important, right? So first of all, I have a narrative, and my mom and dad are sitting here, so watch, they're going to tell me none of this narrative is true. 
But here's the narrative to my name. First off, my name is Eric Scott Hyphen Alistair Seepin. Right? So I got this fun long name. Um, but my mother wanted to name me Scott, correct? See, yeah, that's, 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 got a little hitch. So, wanted to name me Scott Alistair, but my dad did not want to name me Scott Alistair. He wanted to name me Eric. So, or there was a compromise. So Eric came up. So, Scott Alistair, my mother's maiden name is McAllister. She dropped the MC, and so I got Scott McAllister, or Scott Alistair. But my last name is Seepin. And I've done a lot of research in Seepin, and there's a lot of different meanings, but the major meaning to Seepin is pickaxe. Yeah, thank you. Right? Pickaxe, or ice pick. Right? So, um, and, and I think, I, I'm not quite sure on this, but I think that people of my uh, lineage invented the climbing axe. Right? It's called a seepin. Anyway, so who knows? I don't know. But anyway, our names, our names should mean something. And you know what's interesting is I see, in, as a lot of you are having babies, that names have begun to mean more things than they used to, right? Like people spend time thinking about the definitions and what they're saying about their child and all those kinds of things. So a name given to you means something, right? And for Paul, it means a lot about his story, and we're going to see that in just a minute. So he opens this letter and he says, My name is Paul, a servant of God. Now, servant. The NIV says servant. Some people try to make it a little better and say bondservant. But it's doulos and it means slave. It does not mean bondservant and it does not mean servant. But because slavery has had such a bad history, right? we, we don't want to put slave in there. But, Paul's story makes, he, he believes he's a slave of God. And this, he mentions it 40 times in the New Testament. He says, slave, I'm a slave. This, he went, read Romans, he describes all of this. So, he identifies himself as a slave of God. We don't like that idea. Because if you're a servant, you get to choose your master. If you're a slave, you're taken and then you're put into service, right? How many of you saw 12 Years a Slave or that movie? I haven't gotten to see it yet, but it's about somebody who was free and then they were kidnapped and spent 12 years as a slave, right? That they were going one direction, living a free life, and then everything changed. So for Paul, he identifies himself as a slave and it's connected to his story And we'll get there in a second. So he says, Paul, a small guy, a slave of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The second thing, he says, I'm not just a slave. I've got this title, and this title gives me a mission. Right? So apostles mean two things. Here's the crazy thing. You might not have known this, but you're an apostle. Because an apostle just means to be sent forth with a message. Right? An apostle is somebody sent forth with a message. So if you ever hear somebody say, oh, I'm an apostle, you can say, so am I. I've been sent forth with a message too. You have what they call an apostolic ministry. You're an apostle. Congratulations. Next time somebody asks you what you do for a living, you can say, I'm an apostle. And you can see what kind of reaction you get out of that. But the other thing that Paul is doing here, he's not just saying I have this mission, 
But Paul is a particular kind of apostle, and that is an apostle who's seen Jesus. Okay? And has been called by Jesus to be an apostle. So there's the that group of people. So he's saying, not only am I with everybody else, I have a special place as one of the apostles who was who saw God. Okay? And who walked with God. So this all actually though connects to Paul's story. And I want I want to show you this because it's really important and it's going to be part of me giving you an assignment tonight. So Paul loves to connect the way he talks about himself to the very essence of who he is and what his story is. So a couple weeks ago, I read in Acts his story and when he told the kings about who he was. Um, And so I want to quickly read that again to you. Um, All right, chapter Acts 26, uh, verse 9, Paul tells his, his story. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, or as a duos, as a slave, and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Okay? So Paul's experience in his conversion is how he defines himself as a person and represents himself to other people. Okay. Now, I want to quickly jump to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is the letter written to Hebrews. Nobody knows who wrote it. But there's this little phrase at the very beginning, or a little verse at the beginning of the chapter that says this, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Okay. So, the things that we've heard, the things that we've experienced, and the whole context of Hebrews here is our salvation. So Hebrew, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, we need to pay closer attention so we don't drift away. And the idea of drifting away is this boat idea. So you know how when a boat is next to a, the shore, and if you don't put your anchor down, the boat drifts away. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that you and I have to put our anchor into what we've heard, and the story and experience of our salvation so that we don't drift away and lose our moorings. Okay? So when Paul understands that fact, and so when Paul introduces himself, he introduces himself as a small man who is a slave of God who was headed one direction, doing 
one thing and God completely took possession of him and gave him a completely different job as an apostle, as a witness. Okay. I would argue to you that your story, now here's the thing, the story of your salvation, the time that you really met God and knew that you turned around, that you repented, that you walked away from everything, in that story, you are given a name. You are given a name and you're given a job. So let me kind of explain it to you this way. Because some of you are like me. You grew up in the church. So you're like, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't have a conversion moment. Some of you are brand new Christians, so you have a conversion moment. Or you've come back to Christ. We have lots of these moments. But I would suggest you try to go back to the ones that are definitive in your life and begin to hear what God has to say about you. Okay, So for me, when I was three years old, and I don't remember these, so some of these are actually narratives that were told to me since I was a little kid. But when I was three years old, I jumped up in my mother's lap and I asked to know Jesus, to pray to know Jesus. When I was five, I would pray with my mom and my mom's friends would say, wow, the Holy Spirit is on your son. Okay? Now what comes out of those two stories, because those two stories are kind of my conversion stories, is that when I write this letter, it's Eric Scott Alistair Seepin, comma, a bigger name than Paul, and a child of God. Now that's important to me because, see, I grew up as a little kid of God. I grew up as a little kid. So my, my relationship to God and my conversion experience is a child, and I feel giddy and like a little child most of the time around God. Like you saw Eisen and, and um, uh, who else was running around? Lily, thank you. They were just shaking, laughing, screaming. They don't understand that they're distracting you or anybody else. They're having fun, right? And I feel that way often in the presence of God. I feel like a little kid. That comes out of my conversion story. That is who I am. So if I were to write you a letter or when I go back and try to think about who I am with God, I think Eric Scott Alistair Seepin, a child of God. But children, but the next thing Paul says, it's, it's not just being a kid, it's not just being a slave, there is a thing to do. The thing that we're called to do. And the rest of my narrative, my story, there is instance after instance where God has shoved me into being a shepherd. One of the biggest stories is just how this church started. After lots of depressing things happened, after I got, we got sent out of one church, another church closed down, I remember sitting in a living room, I had, had met Rod, and, and I'd invited him to the living room with a bunch of leaders from my ministry, and our ministry was falling apart, and I don't, it was just all a mess. But there was this group of people, and I invited Rod, our co-pastor now, to come to sit with us, and I told this group of people, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm just stressed out. I don't know what to do. I need someone to help me. And I think Rod can do it. And I didn't like this idea that if I was going to plant a church, that I'd have to be called pastor. Like, I didn't want to be a pastor. I could be a leader. That's great. But pastors were way up here. Pastors knew a lot. And pastors were just sort of people you didn't talk to, you just sort of admired. Because as a little kid, I, I grew up in the church, so pastors were cool people. right? I, I'm trying to convince you that pastors are cool. right? They are. 
But for me, they were. And, and so having that group of people look at me and what they said was, no, 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 we need to plant a church and you're our pastor. So for me, actually, it's Eric Scott Alistair Seepin, a child of God who is a shepherd of Jesus Christ. And see, that's my, my, and, and there's hundreds of stories like this in my life where God shoves me into being a shepherd and reaffirms that I'm his little kid. And those two things define me. But if I lose sight of that, as if I drift away, if I don't tell people, if I don't rehearse it, if I don't recite it, if I don't actually live it out, I move away from God. And I lose my mooring, and I get depressed, and I get anxious, and I think everything is going to heck in a handbasket, and I don't know what's wrong, and I should quit everything and go live in, in Seattle, right? The, right? the mystical city of Seattle. Um, if I drift away. It's miserable, by the way, for my wife. So she really likes me to keep on to my, keep my story. Um, but Paul understands this, and he's opening the letter with his story. The little man who's a slave of God, who's an apostle, okay? And then he goes on to say, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. All right. I'm going to explain that little phrase, but before I do, I have a project for you. So, this is this verse written out. So take the verse and hand it to somebody else, the next person. But it has blank on it, okay? Okay? And what I want you to do, now, you may not be a follower of Jesus, so you can write down what you think God might be saying about who you are. Um, but I want you to write down who you are in relationship to God. Does everybody get, have, hopefully we have enough. Okay, now, let's see here. So, put your name in there. I don't know if you need pencils or not, but you pass those back. <laughs> um, and I want you to think about your story, about the times that you really met God, and what He said about you. And then I want you to think about what He's called you to do. Are you a shepherd? Are you a teacher? Are you a servant? Are you an administrator? Are you a prophet? What, what is it that God... like? What are the, how has God continually pushed you into a place of, where it's uncomfortable, but here's the effect that it has? Okay? Because I think we all have the same mission that Paul has. It's just a little different. It looks different on all of us. Okay? So he says, for the faith of God's elect. Okay, so... Let me just kind of clarify faith. Because most of you, when you hear faith, you think the word means belief. The word is pistis in the Greek. It does not mean belief. It is evolved into belief. It means trust. Okay? So when, when you read it, read it as for the trust of God's elect. So what Paul is saying here is that his entire mission is pushed to helping people trust in the character of God. 
to trust who God is. Right? So that's the first thing. To have trust in who God is. Now, this elect thing. I know my temptation is just to pass over the elect thing. It's, ah, whatever. But let me just stop here. Because some of you are like, wait a minute. Is this where they're talking about predestination and free will and ah, election? Let me just help you think it this through this way. When it's talking about election, he's a Jewish man. And Jewish people believe that God chose the Jewish nation. And if you were a Jewish person, you were elect. God elected you. The reason you were elect is because you were part of the Jewish community. So first off, if you were part of the Christian community, you're elect. But election is not something that you choose, right? But it's not a bad thing. For instance, I did not choose my election as a seaman, right? My parents decided to have a kid, and here I am. I didn't choose to be here, nor did I force them. They just chose me, and they called me seepin. That means I'm a, an elect seepin. I was formed. But you know what? I don't have to hang on to my election. I don't have to act as a seepin. I can say I'm not a seepin. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't still bear the characteristics of my parents, but I can deny everything about them. They elected me, and I can push it aside. Okay, But election is not there for us to kind of... Paul's not thinking, let's extrapolate out. Does that mean that God chose some people for you know to be saved and then other... No, he's not thinking that. He's saying, isn't it really cool that your dad chose you? You're elect. The church. It's cool. That's all he's thinking about. So he's saying, the people who love Jesus, who are part of his church, I'm there as an apostle to help develop their trust in God. The trust in the the character of God. And second, to develop the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So knowledge is this this knowing of what is true. So here's the this is the theme of Titus. If you haven't figured it out, this is what Paul's going to do for the rest of the thing. He's going to say, Here I am to help people trust God more know about God more, and when you trust God and know about His truth, guess what? This magic thing happens. You live a godly life. So if you're never, if you like, how am I to be godly? How am I to be able to walk like God? Develop your trust in who God is and learn about God and learn about what's true and godliness will follow. Okay, so that's all of your mission. So when you're writing down your little story there, that's what you're called to do. So Eric, as a child of God, who's a shepherd, is here to help develop your trust, help you learn more about the truth of God so that you'll walk godly. That's what I'm called to do. That's how my story joins up with Paul's story. That's where I'm at. Okay. And then he goes on. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God does not which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at this appointed season, he has brought this world to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. Okay, that's, that's packed. But let's, let's just first talk about eternal life because I, I, if you don't get anything, I really want you to get this idea about eternal life because a lot of times, what we think about when we think, okay, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and I get eternal life. Well, everybody gets eternal life, right? 
You are going to either eternally exist with God or eternally exist without God. But when we think about heaven and hell and eternal life, what are our visions? Pearly gates and fire and torture, right? Those are the two things that we kind of think about when we think about eternal life. But eternal life is, is, it is those, it could be those things, but this is how I imagine it and it's very helpful to me. God is the originator of eternal life. And so when you and I, through Jesus, decide to follow God, this is what happens. We're all little kids, and God's got his hand right out near us, just saying, take my hand. And we take his hand, right? And we decide to spend the rest of our eternity walking hand to hand as little kids with God. Now in this small period of time, I don't know how many have held the hand of a child, but they don't hold your hand for very long, right? They're like, right? if you've ever seen a dad, like sometimes a child is just squirming underneath the snug because he's holding them up like, but God, unless, yeah, yes. <laughs> and that's the picture that, that eternal life is, is this little kid relationship with the Father where the Father is never going to let go of your hand. John, in the Gospel of John, makes it clear over and over. Jesus says he's not going to let go. That what's been given to him, he doesn't let go of. Right? No matter how much you squirm, no matter how much you kind of flip your hand around, you know, he's not going to let go of you. But imagine the other end of things. The torment that if you choose not to take God's hand is a life as a little kid without the hand of your father. That's what hell is. And not only is it just a life without the hand of your father, it's a life without your friends who have their father's hand around you. It's you with a bunch of other people who don't have a father's hand. There's no light. There's nothing. It's like a bunch of little kids with darkness and fear and no dad and no mom. That's what hell is. So when, when Paul is saying, Eternal life, the thing that you and I, he says there's this hope that we have, right? Eternal life, that hope is not like a hope like maybe that'll happen. Ooh, I'm hoping. No. In the Bible, it's like getting married. Once you get engaged and you're planning and it's miserable for you and you're doing premarital counseling, you know there's a date. You, your hope is pretty assured unless a car comes by and runs one of you over, right? Or some crazy thing happens. You're pretty assured that you're getting married, but there's this period of time where you have to wait. So you have a hope. It's a hope based on a lot of facts and truth. And it will happen. And so what Paul is saying is that this truth, he says, and it's really, really interesting here, is promised before the beginning of time or in ages past. And what he's saying is that it wasn't just an afterthought of God to send Jesus to save you. This was the plan from the very, very beginning. This isn't just like, oh yeah, shucks, they didn't work out in the Garden of Eden, so you need to die. No, this was the plan that the God had had because they wanted to hold your hand. Like the Father wanted to hold your hand. And now here's the interesting thing. If you read Titus chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says that one of their philosophers says that Cretans are liars. So it's very interesting that Paul is saying here, God doesn't lie. He's not lying. 
This eternal life is going to happen. It's been something that's planned out forever. Okay? And then in verse 3 it says, And in this appointed season, He has brought His Word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, through Titus, my true son, in our common faith. Now, how does Paul, how is he a slave, and how is he an apostle? What does he do? He preaches, he says. The way that he furthers the knowledge and of the truth, and the way that he brings about trust in God is to preach, to proclaim, to tell people. See, that's why Paul's always making problems. If you read Acts, everywhere he goes, he's talking to somebody about God. He's telling them that they're, you know, you got to accept this or the Gentiles will. You guys are all stubborn. Why aren't you listening to me? Like, that's, that's who Paul is. He preaches and he preaches in order to develop the trust in God and the knowledge of the truth. But for me, it would be different. And, and, and it was kind of interesting. It was sort of revealed to me this week as to who I would be. Because if I, read, if I wrote this to Titus, my part would be in verse 3, and at this appointed season, he has brought this word to light through the nipping as a sheepdog at the feet of my church. Because really what I am is not a shepherd, but a sheepdog. Right? The way that I offer my shepherding is as a sheepdog. And, and so many of you have probably experienced this. I'm always barking. And I'm always biting your heels. And I'm always trying to herd you in the direction of God. And yipping and yapping here. And sometimes I realize, and this is the child part, is that God says to me, you, sit. Right? That's who I am. All of you actually have that part too. That as you look at who God called you, like child of God, slave, servant, the thing that He spoke out to you of God, and then the mission He gave you, you have a way of expressing it. It's your way. You express the Gospel in your kind of way. And it comes out of your story. Now, part of being in community is figuring that out. Now, I just want to close with one thing tonight. What time is it? Wow, 6.18. We must have started late. I'm going to go with that. Um, I just thought it was really interesting here. Because my like I feel like I'm a child of God, in this little passage, just what he says about God. Okay, So one of the things that he says about God here is that God is our Father. Now I think it's really interesting because a lot of you maybe don't have that great experiences with Dad. Maybe your dad just didn't give you a good representation of God. So when you say Father, you're like, God is my Father. You're like, well, that's not a good idea. Um, but it's really interesting in this passage what he says about God as a Father. He says that God as a Father doesn't lie. And God as a Father has planned your salvation out. And God as a Father brings grace and mercy. And this is the only time that Paul attaches Savior to God. Usually he says Jesus Christ, Savior. So God is your Savior. And so what I want to just offer you is that as you interact with God and as you learn to trust Him, 
as your father. Remember, he doesn't lie. He brings grace and peace. He had your salvation planned out. That little story you have with him, he thought it out. He carefully planned it. And he called you into it. And he loves you. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this community, for giving us stories that we can anchor ourselves to. As we uh, spend time eating and singing and, and just focusing on you, Jesus, tonight, I ask that you would give some of us courage to tell our stories to one another, to tell about who we are in you and what you've done in our life and how we're learning to express that um, in our community. I ask that all in your name, Jesus. Amen.